0: Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. So, he says that we must add virtue and knowledge. What's the context? In verse 5 of 2 Peter 1, he says, also for this very reason, and we've already seen the reason, it's the two verses that precede, where it says that His divine power has given us everything we need. For life and godliness. And by His glory and virtue, He's called us. So all the gift has been given to us by God. The first section, verses uh, 3 and 4, are saying what God has provided. Then verses 5 and onwards are talking about the progress we must make. He says, for this very reason, because God has given you such a beautiful, powerful, valuable gift His power is working in you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. He's put this in you, everything you need. It's already been given to you. He's called you. His divine nature is in you because of this, for this very reason, giving all diligence. So we're looking at this and wanting this very much. He says, add to your faith virtue. And we looked at this last week, how this virtue, this desire to do good comes from us delighting in the Lord and allowing that, that will and do, that power to do God's will, to work itself out in my desires so that I want to do good. He says, add virtue. We do that just by letting God's goodness permeate the rest of us. But then he says, and add knowledge to your virtue, add knowledge. He then goes on to list another five things that we should add that are like the rungs of a ladder He says, to knowledge add self-control, then perseverance, then godliness, brotherly kindness and love. And he says, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's fruitfulness that comes out of us if we take the provision and then we make the progress. We add the seven rungs of the ladder. Then we have fruitfulness and he says an entrance into the kingdom of God Uh, But if we don't have them, he says, you're short-sighted, you may become blind, you may stumble. Uh, So it's important. We've got the provision, which is God's thing. We've got the progress, which is our thing. And then the final product, hopefully, is breaking through the finishing tape into heaven. Are you with us? Are you willing and engaged? Are you giving diligence to add these seven rungs of the ladder? And today we're talking about knowledge. So in verse 5, he says, For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Add to your faith virtue. So let's just look at this progress here. He says, You've already got faith. Faith was seeing what Jesus did for you on the cross and believing. The Bible says, When you believe, you're made brand new on the inside, a new creation. You're born again. You've got all the power and life of God inside of you. So you've had faith, but then he says you add virtue, which is this want to do good, This where my desires are changed and I become good on the inside, not just trying to be good based on an outside set of rules. I'm, I'm changed on the inside. There's virtue coming out of me. My desires are like God's desires. I want what he wants. But then he says, add knowledge. Why do we have to add knowledge? Because zeal without knowledge is dead, is fruitless, is unhelpful. What do you mean, Greg? What do you mean zeal without knowledge? In Romans chapter 10, Paul the apostle is talking about the Israelites, his nation, the Jewish nation, and he says they have zeal. They they try so hard to please God, to obey God. They, They sacrifice, they work, they They do all these different religious activities. They are zealous. They are energetic. They are passionate, he says. But it's without knowledge. And because of that, they have been cut off from Christ. And one day they will come back to him. One day all Israel will be saved. But until then, they have the wrong knowledge. Isn't that interesting? Zeal without knowledge produces death. And we could say that having a desire to do good and a desire to do God's things and having passion and enthusiasm and fervency without knowledge, without the guidelines that say this is the right way to run. If we don't have the right guidelines, zeal without knowledge can cause us to run passionately and excitedly the wrong way. And I want to just ask you, my dear friend, how are you doing with your knowledge? He says, if we add our faith, virtue, and then knowledge, and then these other things. But knowledge, if you add knowledge, you will be fruitful in your service of the Lord. You will have a, a great entrance into the kingdom of heaven at the end of your life. There will be great results coming out of your life. All that potential, everything we need for life and godliness that was already put inside you when you believed, will have worked itself out if... You add zeal or virtue, the desire to do good with the knowledge of what it is that God wants you to do. And so I'm challenging you and I'm challenging myself today. How are we doing with adding knowledge, 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 knowledge? The first thing I want to say is that there are two kinds of knowledge. There is human knowledge and then there is the knowledge that saves, the knowledge that comes from God, the knowledge that is really uh, life-giving. Spiritual knowledge. Let me read you. There are many verses I could read, but I'll just read you one. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, Paul says to his beloved son Timothy, He says, O Timothy, God, what has been, what was committed to your trust. God, what was committed to your trust. What's he talking about? In 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, he talks about the faith, the knowledge of God, the scriptures how Timothy has known the scriptures from young childhood, and how they're able to make him wise for salvation, and prepared, thoroughly equipped to do every good work. He says, guard this knowledge of God, and his scriptures, and his truth, and his word. Guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. He says that there are These babblings that are going on, profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. What is he talking about? There were teachers going around in Paul's day. Many of them would follow him. So he would go to a city and he would tell the people about Jesus. And when he left that city, the the wrong teachers would follow in behind him and try to confuse people and say, You don't know the real knowledge. And they were called the Gnostics or Gnostics because they, they took this Greek word knowledge, Gnosis, and they said, you've got to have the special knowledge that only we have. And they would tell the people all these theories and ideas. They would take parts of the Bible, but they would add in human tradition and ideas and clever theories. And they would argue. And, it, and Paul says they are idle, profane and idle babblings. Profane means not holy. They don't come from God. They come from human ideas or from demonic ideas. Idle means that they are pointless and and unhelpful. They they don't lead to anything productive, especially for eternity. They're just a waste of time. You can talk about these ideas for 10 hours and wrestle with them in your brain, but at the end, it hasn't benefited you. Your spirit hasn't grown stronger. You haven't been more prepared to do what God wants you to do. And then he says, there are babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. So there is a human idea of knowledge and there is God's idea of knowledge. And he says in verse 21, by professing it, by professing these ideas that are falsely called knowledge, some have strayed concerning the faith. Christ be with you. Amen. So it's not just any knowledge that we need. It's God's knowledge. We can easily read tons of books. I remember when I was first searching for God, I was a young 17-year-old. My life was a mess. My family life was a mess. I was at a boarding school far away from home, and I was searching for meaning in life. And I went to the library, and I started looking at books about other religions and, and spirituality and philosophy and trying to understand what is the meaning of life. And it led me down a dark path. I just got more and more depressed, more and more bound up in sin and error. And eventually, praise the Lord, somebody told me about the true gospel of Jesus. And I was radically transformed and changed from a place of darkness to a place of light. But I wanna say to you, there is a risk of us saying, yes, I need knowledge. Yes, my brain must be engaged in my Christianity but then we look in the wrong places. We read books of human theories, or we read books of uh, spiritual theories that are spiritually inspired, but by the wrong kind of spirits, by evil spirits. 1 Corinthians 10 says that all false religions, even though they are called religions, they are actually inspired by demons. And so, Something can sound clever, can sound fascinating, can sound interesting. But if it doesn't come from God's word, from the, the truth that, that Paul said Timothy had to God, which was entrusted to him, the truth of the real gospel. You know, in Isaiah, it says, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts above your thoughts. God's thoughts and his ways, his knowledge, the truth of his word is so much higher and purer and more perfect and more helpful forever for eternal life than any human thoughts or any other spiritual thoughts. And so my first challenge to you is one, get knowledge. Get knowledge. Zeal without knowledge will not save you. Just because you're enthusiastic, that's not enough. You need knowledge. But secondly, get the right kind of knowledge. Please, my dear friend, get the right kind of knowledge. There are so many things out there that are calling themselves knowledge. I was led uh, by somebody. They sent me a link to go and watch a a church's YouTube channel recently. And I went to it and I looked it up. And the the person speaking started off by saying, we are talking about prophecy and we're talking about world events from a biblical perspective. And I thought, oh, good, we're going to see some real knowledge. And then they proceeded for the next 30 minutes to talk about weird ideas, uh, politics. They were talking about people and and reviling people. Reviling means you insult a person's character and you say that they're a bad person. They were were naming people and saying they were bad. They were talking about theories about uh, the pandemic and about science and all this. And they didn't once mention the Bible. And they said it was prophetic, but there was nothing of God in it. It was just vain and idle babblings. And I want to say to you, it is important because just as the right knowledge will lead you up the rungs of the ladder to fruitfulness in Christ, the wrong knowledge can lead to straying concerning the faith. We can get our brains into such a muddle that actually we go the wrong way. Let me just spend a few moments telling you how important your mind is. In Romans 12, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, because you've seen God's mercy, present your body as a living sacrifice, then be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will know what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Your mind is the key that takes all this life and power and goodness that's in you and enables you to live it out. Your mind must be renewed. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, he says that we are wrestling. We're in a fight and we're fighting against strongholds and arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Your mind is the key. Jesus said, the flesh profits nothing. The spirit gives life. The words that I speak to you are spirit in their life. He was saying, if you get your mind to absorb my words and understand them, It will produce life. Ephesians 4, verse 22, 23, 24 says, Put off the old man that is being corrupted by lusts, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, which is made according to God in true holiness and righteousness. It's your mind. Romans 8, verses 4 and 5 and 6 talks about the spirit and the flesh. And it says, let me just read it to you. Romans 8. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. He says it's your mind that is the switch. He says you've got the flesh. Yes, part of you is fleshly. The old you that was never renewed by Christ yet. That's your flesh, but then you have your spirit where God dwells, where the power of God is, where the righteousness, the life, the peace of God is. And he says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. In other words, they switch the switch to their own five senses about what is true, but also what the world says is knowledge and truth. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. And if we set our minds, we get our knowledge set on God's truth, God's knowledge, if we, if we focus and set our eyes, our spiritual eyes on, on that knowledge, on what's in the Spirit, the words of Christ, what's God, what God has already put in us, the true knowledge, then he says there is life and there is peace. So it's important, the battlefield of the mind. You know, someone has said that Jesus defeated the devil. In Colossians chapter 2, it says he disarmed him. That means he took away his weapons and he made a public spectacle of him on the cross. Jesus took away all the devil's power to hurt you as a Christian. He completely did that. But the one thing the devil can still do is the same thing he did to Adam and Eve. He can lie to you and once your knowledge is taken away from God's truth to the lies of the devil, then we start to allow the devil to influence us. In Ephesians 4, it says, do not give the devil a foothold. And that's talking about believing his lies. You know, as a Christian, my dear friend, you don't have to fear the devil's attacks. You don't have to fear because you are protected. You are blessed. God is with you and God is all over you. And the devil can't attack you unless you believe one of his lies. And so knowledge is important. Can we agree today? That we are going to look for God's knowledge. Amen. Right. How do we do this? The first is that our attitude needs to be right. We need to come to God with the right attitude. This is part of that virtue that we've already spoken about in verse 5 of 2 Peter 1. Where it says add to your faith virtue. That's this desire to do good. We've got to have this virtue. this, This attitude that says God I want to know your will. In John 7, verse 17, Jesus said, If anyone wills to do God's will, he will know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Jesus was saying, you can't interpret the Bible correctly until you want to do God's will. So our attitude is the first thing that must be right. We need to come to God with a humble attitude with a desire to please him, not to prove our own point, not to prove ourselves, right? But to say, God, what is it that you are wanting for me? In James chapter one and verse 21, it says, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save yourselves, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself." He says that we've got to come with an attitude of meekness, a desire to put away wickedness, to be doers of what we hear. So our attitude is so important. The way that we approach God's word will affect the knowledge that we get. It's almost like there's a filter. There's a a grid that we can see knowledge through. And even if I'm looking at God's word, the true source of knowledge, even if I'm looking in the right place, if I'm coming with the wrong attitude, which says uh, I don't want to change, or I don't want to do right. If if we come with any attitude other than the one which says, "God, I want to do Your will, and I want to learn from You," then we will not understand. Jesus said, "It's only when you will to do His will that you will know His teaching correctly." Isn't that amazing? The second thing is that it has to be by the Spirit. One Corinthians two verse twelve says, "We have received." not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. It's by God's spirit. It's not enough just to be clever in my head. I've got to say, Holy Spirit, inspire me and inspire your word as I read it. Make it real to me, make it alive. It's only by the spirit of God that we can understand. He goes on to say, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So we, first of all, get our attitude right. Say, God, I want to do your will. I humble myself. I come with meekness. Secondly, we say, Holy Spirit, inspire your word, inspire me, teach me, help me, illuminate your word to me. That's why when we're in worship, times of worship, often we understand God's word more clearly and he speaks so powerfully to us because his spirit is anointing what we're doing. And then the third thing is just to be careful who we learn from. Be careful who we learn from because you can study God's word on your own But the reality is most of us will be influenced by teachers, by preachers, by other people around us who will show us what God's word says. And Jesus said, be careful and test people's fruit. In Matthew chapter 7, he said, test their fruit and you'll know whether they really are uh, from God and teaching God's word. And what is fruit? It's what comes out of a person's life. So we're supposed to look at a person, we're supposed to see The evidence of what they're teaching lived out in their life. If a person says, um, you know, I I believe this and you must do this, but they're living a different way or the the evidence, the results of it are not in their life, then the fruit isn't there. In James chapter 3, there's an amazing passage where he's talking about teachers. And he says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So he says, it's okay to judge teachers. Now, let me just say, we shouldn't judge them as if we're better than them, but we should judge what they're saying. Uh, They will be judged by God more strictly. And we shouldn't stand up on a high horse and think we can criticize all the different preachers and call them out by name, because that's reviling. That's insulting people's character. But we can judge what they say. And he gives us the the keys. He says, "Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness, in the meekness of wisdom." He says that the way you can tell if a person is a godly teacher is first of all by their conduct, by their fruits, by good works that they've done. Then he goes on to say, "But if you have, or if they have," Bitter envy and self seeking in your hearts. Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So the second thing he says is envy and self seeking. If they're trying to promote themselves, if they are competitive and saying, I'm better than that preacher, or I'm more right and let me prove why I'm the best one or if they're always trying to push themselves forward in their own personality and promote themselves. It's a bit like politics. That word um, um, self-seeking is a political word. It's talking about trying to gather people to vote for you. So that's the second sign of a person not being a good teacher, is they're all about themselves. And then the third thing he says, verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, So there's a purity, there's a goodness, there's a wholesomeness about it. They're not promoting evil. Then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. This means they're not about trying to fight and put other people down. There's a peace and a gentleness and a willingness to submit about them. He says, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Good fruits, mercy and grace and kindness. And he says, now the fruit of righteousness, this is his last sentence talking about how we can be good teachers, but also recognize good teachers. He says the fruit of righteousness. In other words, they've absorbed God's word and it's now producing fruit. And that fruit is righteousness, godly living, being like Christ. The fruit of righteousness is then sown in peace by those who make peace. The fruit comes out of them and they sow it into your life as a teacher. They say, this is how God's word has impacted me. Look, it's produced this fruit. I'm humble. It's God, not me. And I'm going to sow into your life that fruit of how God's word changed me. And I'm going to sow it into your life, that fruit of righteousness, becoming more like Jesus. It's sown in peace by those who make peace. There's a peacefulness about them. They're not um, angry people. They're not trying to manipulate you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, we don't manipulate or deceive people. We treat the word of God uh, straightforwardly and, and openly and honestly. When you find someone who's trying to manipulate, deceive, trick you, or they, have, they don't have these fruits in their lives, uh, then they're not the kind of teacher. And can I just say that the best way to know a teacher is to get to know them personally and spend time with them. And while we can benefit from preachers and preaching through books, through videos, through TV, through the internet, you need someone close to you who you know, who you trust, who can be your shepherd and guide, who will teach you God's word as well as gaining from other people. We love you. We're praying for you. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.